Selena Gomez's searingly honest documentary, Rihanna's confusing Fenty show choice, and a fashion trend's officially dead. We're Maggie and Jasmine, and you're listening to Culture Club, our weekly chat about pop culture, current affairs, the internet, and our lives. We acknowledge that the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people are the traditional custodians of this land we are on today. We'd like to pay our respects to elders past and present. We'd also like to celebrate the rich history of First Nations culture and storytelling that we are continually learning from. This proudly always was and always will be Aboriginal land. It seems we've both had quiet weekends, which has been nice. What have you gotten up to? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually came back from New Zealand this week. I was there for five days and then afterwards just decided to take it really mellow and stay inside for a few days um, back until I was like feeling 100%, which I am. Mm -hmm. So today I got my gel nails removed, painted them red. Red nails are so controversial, Jazz. Like they are a classic. They're also trendy at the moment. But um, we've had fr- like conversations with friends in office, my like friends out of office, and they're like, "Oh no, not red nails!" Blah blah blah. I'm like, people have such strong opinions mm. on them. Yeah, no. Some people see them as like super classy and like chic and grown up, and others see them as like trashy or something. Yeah, I I think they're chic, and I don't Me usually too. have a red nail, so I'm like, ooh. Red. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um and and then I also just visited um my little sister Katie who designed yes our album artwork because she had her first stall at Rose Street Market in Fitzroy. So it was a very wholesome day Yay. today. Well done Katie. It's so exciting. Was she excited? Yeah, very cute. Yeah, she is. Like it's very very cute. Like a little shop little shopkeeper. It's like what we used to play when Aww. we were younger, you know, like library beep. <laughs> Did she sell anything? Yeah, she's been selling things. You know, she bought like the little square like tap paint oh, wow. thing. Like she's like a full on business owner. Business so. woman. Business That's so good. woman. Well done. What about yourself though? What have you been doing? I have had a lovely weekend. Went to yoga this morning and just like clean house, just real mid-20s stuff. Um, and then <laughs> I also had two nights in like accidentally. Yeah. Um, I had plans, but they got cancelled so I ended up watching two things one I'll get into later but um, on Friday night I watched My Mind and Me which is Selena Gomez's new documentary I watched Mm. it the day it came out I was so excited and it's on Apple TV oh it's on Apple TV that's probably why I don't that's like the one I don't have but I have been seeing snippets of this on TikTok I've been seeing ads on my Twitter like it's everywhere I think that's why I watch it so quickly is that um it was everywhere like really concentrated though it wasn't like oh in one month it was like yeah this week like in two days this is coming I was like whoa okay I'll watch it I've got a free night I would say that you need like huge huge trigger warnings for anyone who's battled mental illnesses and even those who have had family battling mental health issues because it is like the first like half an hour ish is very intense it kind of document mm. it go- goes back to like 2016 and starts with her um revival tour which she was 23 at the time and it was kind of like her first big tour post disney and literally within like the first 10 minutes she's like sobbing like yeah. i can't do this and like 
so much pressure and I feel like a little kid and like I want to be a woman and all these things. Um, it's very, very emotional. But then it kind of goes, it like follows her over a couple of years, which is amazing Like to think that, you know, filming your life, documenting your life like that over like six years or something. Um, so, yes, it's directed by Alex Keshishian, whose 1991 Madonna film Truth or Dare set the mould and kind of remains the gold standard for celebrity documentary genre. Um, and I didn't realise that until afterwards. But you can tell it's very well done. Um, I did love this review by Adrian Horton for The Guardian because it kind of sums up how much the documentary jumps around in time. I did feel like sometimes it was very jumpy and like we didn't get we got really deep in some areas, but then other aspects of her life were super skimmed over. But maybe that's just because she was focusing on her bipolar, like being diagnosed mm. with bipolar and those, like those years where that was like a really huge thing rather than just like, okay, and then I like made a beauty brand and like blah, blah, blah. So overall, do you think it was quite like an honest portrayal of her life? I think a lot of the times with celebrity documentaries, they can come off as um, like promo-y and stuff. Yeah, it was like it did feel like half promo-y but half not. And it was nice to see to like learn more about her childhood because she goes back to her town, the hometown where she's from in Texas, and like she really did like come from like not much. Like her mom was a teen mom, her parents split when she was 5. Um and she like goes back and visits old neighbors and old friends in this small Texan town. So that's nice to see. Um, but there, it's not like she's trying to spruik her like makeup line or her new album or anything, mm-hmm. but um, sometimes it does feel a bit promo y. But like, I can't even imagine trying to like having a film camera follow you around for like six years in your 20s and then also like put that out to the world and know that like millions of people are going to see it. Like, I think it does seem like some things have been cut or something because like it feels a bit like a jigsaw puzzle and like pieces are missing but it's still a really good documentary Uh, yeah I did see in her interview with Rolling Stone she um she said that she wasn't actually going to put it out so Mm. the quote there was um I'm just so nervous because I have the platform I have it's kind of like I'm sacrificing myself a little bit for a greater purpose I don't want that to sound dramatic but I almost wasn't going to put this out god's ominous truth a few weeks ago i wasn't sure i could do it yeah you can see why when you watch it it's um super super personal and it explains like how after that revival or during the revival tour she went to a psychiatric hospital like basically had a mental breakdown um and then it's her like health issues her lupus her breakup with justin bieber is like 10 15 minutes on the documentary I feel like I know her a lot more now which is the point of a documentary I guess but yeah back to this review by Adrian Horton for the Guardian they wrote there's no mention of her well-received return to tv on the popular Hulu series only murders in the building of her similarly endearing cooking show Selena and Chef or her and her mother's role in producing the controversial series 13 reasons why there's only a brief reference to 2021's Revelacion her first Spanish language album Keshishian, as in Truth or Dare, works in moments that complicate Gomez's angelic image, being short with a two-glib interviewer, refusing to listen to a friend, reacting poorly to genuine concern. My mind in me is strongest and bravest in moments like this. 
illustrating Gomez's humanity through universal capacities we don't want recorded. Taylor Swift's stage managed doc would never. Yeah, such a good point. I did see the interview clip of um, when when Selena does um, almost like walk off set after uh, there was an interviewer just for people people at home um you could tell her first language wasn't English and she was kind of like oh you you do so much like what's next and after a beat she's like I want to do philanthropy and then the interviewer was just like oh like I got everything I need like okay cool kind of vibes Mm. right um how did you feel about that (laughs) because I have a few little thoughts (laughs) I got such like secondhand embarrassed I was so like oh my god like I thought it was just nerves when mm-hmm. like the interviewer and I like you're when you're in that moment like talking to a famous person and you're constantly thinking about like you know you're trying to be present in the moment but like you are thinking ahead right yeah yeah what am I gonna yeah. ask next what are they gonna say and sometimes you don't want to take up too much of their time as well so you're like okay like thank you so much thanks for your time but like I did see how it was rude as well um but then you kind of understand like during that period she mm. is going through like a really hard time and doesn't like and it's just after she's been in Kenya um where she felt really happy and then she goes to London and does all this promo right. for this album right, right, right. so um you can see why she's in that headspace but yeah what did you think it's hard because you haven't seen it the full thing so you don't understand the context but because when I saw the TikTok video it had over 600,000 likes like wow. I'm like okay this is making the rounds um so a few things I was like I totally can understand the interviewer because yeah you mm. just you know with nerves getting in your head it I get so flustered sometimes mm. in interviews number one um like many people have pointed out potentially she didn't know what that word meant or something I don't know and then the third thing I wanted to say is like sometimes you get literally like four minutes six mm. minutes to sit down so she's being cautious of time potentially exactly. or we don't know but I think it was really good to see as at least for like an interviewer perspective um selena talking about how almost like cheap it made her feel and mm. that made me reflect on on our role as media in, mm. in situations like that so yeah yeah well i definitely recommend it i think it's very important for mental health awareness and um and just shining a light on like severe mental illness as well and like what that looks like in Hollywood it was just yeah yeah, super interesting and of course it is sad timing as this morning Aaron Carter sadly passed away after being found in a bathtub um he was a pop singer you know in the early 2000s actor rapper his brother to a backstreet boy and he's only 34 years old and he struggled a lot with um well a lot he struggled with a lot over the years and I think that's down to like being a child star and being a Disney star yeah um there was a statement put out by Hilary Duff on Instagram I'd like to read out she wrote for Aaron I'm deeply sorry that your life was so hard for you and that you had to struggle in front of the whole world you had a charm that was absolutely effervescent boy did my teenage self love you deeply sending love to your family at this time rest easy so sad oh my god why am I getting emotional yeah. I don't know it's just like when it's like when someone's like a part of your childhood yeah even like when they're a celebrity or like yeah it's just so so tragic um but I did see a tiktok um that I sent to my mom my sister about Aaron Carter's parents and 
how they like stole all his money and then they didn't pay tax on it. So if, like even though he'd been working since he was like super young, like, you know, eight, whatever, he um was bankrupt and he like publicly forgave his family but then he had to like go on OnlyFans and like, you know, so he was always going live on TikTok and stuff was like mm. to keep up this public persona to like pay the rent. Um, his parents fucked him over basically. Yeah, and I think just with Aaron and with Selena, like, yes, it's so interesting because you're like, yeah, these are celebrities. Like, they're, not, they're not people in our real lives, but it's just like so telling the way people mm. talk about the struggles that they deal with. Like, I unfortunately opened up a fa- uh, adding myself as someone who scrolls on Facebook, but like a Facebook news article about Aaron on like The Guardian or some, something like reputable, but all the comments were like victim blaming almost or like being just so not yeah so not empathetic at all and and it happens with um selena as well and just like mental illnesses that aren't as accepted or -hmm. or whatnot so yeah it's just really it's really devastating for the first time in seven years rihanna released new music last week have you heard it what did you think of it I did. I actually heard it in a random way because I think I was off work that day, but I saw a Slack message from you in like our <laughs> Melbourne office. Sorry, this is so random. <laughs> Give them the context that they need. Um, and you were like, wait, is this new Rihanna playing? And I was like, what? Like, oh my God, there's new Rihanna music out? Like I, I had missed a boat on it. So obviously I jumped on Spotify, listened to it. Um, it is one of two songs that she will have mm-hmm. in Wakanda forever and I am a Marvel baddie so I am excited <laughs> about that um, what was your question or just going off did you listen to it yeah I <laughs> How did, we get from it? did you listen to it to I'm a Marvel it's baddie like, yeah <laughs> like it's like message blah 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 um no so I love a little sad Rihanna song I love a ballad mm. right I do love that so yes I've listened to it many times I've sung it so many times poor family poor Tom like it was a drive in New Zealand where I like replayed it three times that's so funny <laughs> three times in a row yeah it's and a I'm long like, song I've got, I've got like the lyrics up and I'm like I'm not gonna do it now but like, <laughs> <laughs> karaoke, karaoke. I do love a sad karaoke song that's funny. um anyway oh my god how did you find the song, Jess? Well, actually, I've only listened to it that one time when I was in the <gasps> office. So oh. I was sitting there uh, at my desk and over the speakers it played. And I recognized a voice, but I didn't recognize the song. And I was like, wait, mm. what is this? Ba-? And like, because we usually listen to like, I don't know, R&B or like poppy music in the office. And then that ballad came on. I was like, what? And then, yeah, it was confirmed that, yes, it was oh. new Rihanna. But I just haven't gone back to it, I think, because I don't really listen yeah. to sad music that much. Um <laughs> listen to like lots of pop music but um yeah yeah I was like glad to see her back I saw a lot of funny memes about like um (laughs) the cost of living so high that like even Rihanna has to go back to work (laughs) after having a baby (laughs) funny I like that um yeah and then she also released a music video for it I haven't actually watched a video I saw stills and like video bts on her instagram I didn't look that it didn't look that like great from that so I was like oh yeah I just won't watch it I guess. And that kind of coincided. I think I had that mentality because we also saw the devastating news that, you know, everyone's favorite billionaire Rihanna is actually engaging in billionaire behavior by enabling and platforming an alleged abuser. Yes. What the hell? It was like such a roller coaster being a Rihanna fan this week. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so just days after this new music is released and we're like, yes, the Rihanna Renaissance, then it was announced that Johnny Depp is set to walk uh, for a, quote, star moment in the Savage Times Fenty show, which will be released on Prime Video on November 9th. So actually, like, just after this episode comes out, mm. future us, so- tell us what we think. <laughs> So it's obvious why the internet is up in arms about this. This is very shortly after Johnny's and Amber Heard's um, very high-profile legal battle, um, which was about the op-ed back in 2018 that Amber wrote. Um, And the ruling that we got from that was that um, Amber did defame Johnny when she alleged he had abused her during their marriage. Mm. So who could forget the six-week trial back in June? Amber was ordered to pay Johnny $10 million US dollars in compensatory damages and $5 million US dollars in punitive damages. But then the jury awarded Amber $2 million US dollars in her counterclaim that she was defamed by one of Johnny's lawyers. So that was back in June. And like, even if you say, this is my opinion, even if you say in a court of law that Johnny has been deemed innocent, even though stuff came out later, that, you know, whatever, whatever your opinion is, why is Rihanna putting a middle-aged white man in the show anyway? Like, that's what I don't really get. It's like, I don't think that we should be supporting him at the moment because I feel like there's a lot of like gray area in this legal case. But why is she like platforming this really rich middle age? Like he's older than my dad, mm. white guy in a lingerie show, which the whole thing is about being like inclusive and diversity. And like, obviously white men are a part of society, but like they've always been a part of like this brand is meant to be uplifting people who aren't often seen in like media and laundry shows yeah very weird choice and uh like the only kind of reasonable thought that came to my head is like well like are they like their friends or like mm. connections or something of that sort because obviously it's not like a business venture and it feels so off brand that it so does feel off. like you know senior execs or Rihanna whatever making like this really wild wild decision yeah and like it's already been recorded so I don't know if because like some photos have come out of him in the show but a lot of people on Twitter are like when I googled this on Twitter google this on Twitter that doesn't make sense search (laughs) this on Twitter a lot of it was like in support of Johnny and being like yes Rihanna like thank you for partnering with Johnny and like giving him a chance to shine I was like what is my algorithm doing but it is good to like see kind of like other people's opinions of course um and a lot of the reasoning was that Rihanna herself is a survivor of domestic violence after artist Chris Brown publicly assaulted her in 2008. So people are saying like, okay, she's a victim of domestic violence. So therefore she wants to like kind of uh, partner, I guess, with someone else who is a like an alleged victim of domestic violence as well. That's like what some people are saying on the internet. But I like even if this is true, which I don't believe personally, but even if that is true, then like I still don't understand the whole like why is there a man walking like (laughs) I know that they do male they do male like underwear but I don't know why is it Johnny Depp he doesn't need this profiling no I I'm scared if I'm honest for Rihanna's or just like I mean selfishly just like how we view Rihanna Mm. um I understand like a, a lot came out when she was announced to be like when she 
was a billionaire and people were making the case that like hey there are no ethical billionaires etc cetera, etc cetera, even though we put her on such a pedestal mm. like it's hard because i i do put her on this pedestal and i mean it's so hard we don't know her this is i feel like every single goddamn episode of this podcast we go into parasocial <laughs> relationships but it's true it's like oh i want rihanna to be this like i don't know almost like perfect yeah. person which is obviously so unfair to her mm. as well but it's it's just making me rethink i'm like oh okay okay maybe she is somebody who is friends with alleged abusers and is putting them in her show like that that is just potentially a fact and also thinking about the way that we as a society pick and choose certain things because like I was thinking I was in the shower the other day listening to and like singing to Taylor Swift and I was like and I was like oh yeah the whole plane thing that happened recently but like we seem to just like (laughs) like not held her accountable for the whole environment stuff but like I don't, I don't know if this is comparable in this conversation, but mm. more just thinking about like uh, rich celebrities and, and like how we, we want some to, we're like, oh, it's okay. Like we give some a yeah. pass and we don't have others. 100%. Uh, we have such short term memory loss yeah. when it comes to celebrities, wrongdoings. I mean, that, that rings so true because I literally have no memory of like pop culture before 2020. <laughs> it's all like clean. <laughs> oh, God. Beloved Heartstopper actor Kit Connor has been forced to come out as bisexual, the latest victim of the internet's unrelenting need to punish or out people in the name of queer baiting. Kit took to Twitter to write, I'm bi, congrats for forcing an 18-year-old to out himself. I think some of you missed the point of the show. Bye. When I saw this tweet, like, I just wanted to give him a hug. Oh my god. Oh my god. I know, right? Like poor boy like an 18 year old boy having to do this so publicly against his will and Mm. because I watch this tv show like I'm so obsessed with this show Mm. (laughs) and his character is like the sweetest like most sensitive boy just kind of obviously he's not his character but it really does add I think to the emotion of this especially because his own character was grappling with his own bisexuality so we do see the parallels in um, the show and his life as well so this kind of came about because some social media users had accused Kit of queer baiting after he was seen holding hands with actress Maya Rafiku, his co-star in the indie film A Cuban Girl's Guide to Tea and Tomorrow. Sounds like a cute movie name. <laughs> it really does. I'm going to look into that. Um, so then he, back in May, he also tweeted, Twitter is so funny, man. Apparently some people on here know my sexuality better than I do. Yeah, so like he has spoken about how uncomfortable it makes him when people speculate about sexuality a number of times. So he was also on a podcast where he said, quote, I feel like I'm perfectly confident and comfortable in my sexuality, but I don't feel the need to. I'm not too big on labels and things like that. I'm not massive about that and I don't feel like I need to label myself, especially not publicly. So this is this year, by the way, like this is. Mm. very short turnaround so we've actually spoken about this topic before on the podcast and kind of gone into what queer baiting is um mostly in relation to harry styles because he has definitely been one over the last like year or two he's being accused of queer baiting for 
and even Taylor Swift. That's also what we spoke about, Taylor oh, yeah. Swift and the Gaylers and the Hetlers and stuff. And I honestly think this is like one of the worst things about fan culture in this modern time. Like I think it's the worst side of us, you know, in internet fan culture. And I feel like adding to the examples of like Harry and Taylor and stuff, this is the first time we've seen a celebrity have to actually make Mm. this statement and have to out themselves. So it's like, Mm. okay, it actually has real life consequences. It's not just like internet trolls or or whatever. Um, Kit and also his co-star of Heartstopper, they had both recently taken social media breaks anyway because of like the, like, you know, the drama or trolls or messages that they were receiving. So it's like, okay, they've, they've had that kind of boundary put in place, but then they've had to like go even further than that. Mm. Like, I think like this is what this is what's happening like hello like fans care about the characters and the actors but like it's turning very nasty yeah obviously like you're saying yes 100% Patrick Lenton actually wrote about this subject for The Guardian in an article titled whether it's Kit Connor or Harry Styles forcing a celebrity to come out is not progress and Patrick kindly shared some of his own words with us which we'll play now Unlike in the past when public scrutiny of sexuality was mostly driven by homophobia, this new entitlement seems to be mostly coached not just in acceptance, but in an intense support for queer identities. And while this sounds nice, the problem lies in the fact that celebrities have no say about whether they want this support or not. It also perpetuates regressive attitudes around performative queerness for straight audiences where there are certain types of identity that are seen as more valid or real than others. And it doesn't acknowledge the very real dangers that still exist for people who make the choice to publicly come out. In the end, it all becomes just more content for us to measure, judge, and consume. Kit Connor is a young man bullied into reckoning with all the complications and joys and confusions of his sexuality in the public eye. And such binary attitudes have also made their way into the queer community where there are arguments about who is allowed to march in pride or enter queer spaces. It all leads to a situation where there becomes a right or wrong way of being queer and where coming out and performing is expected rather than a choice. Nobody's sexuality or gender identity needs to be offered up for other people's consumption not even celebrities. Yeah, I love this piece by Patrick. He also wrote something else about queer baiting for Vice UK, if you want to read that. Um, But I think it's just so right, like what he's saying about it's not just celebrities. It affects all of us, whether you're part of the LGBTQIA plus community or an ally, like it, it changes how you might feel comfortable to express yourself in a space or express your support. Mm. So I think... Um, yeah, I think it's really what we're talking about this. Drake and 21 Savage have dropped a collaboration album this week titled Her Loss. But it turns out that it might be their loss since they've both come under fire for dissing Megan the Stallion in one of the songs. Yeah, so in the song Circo Loco, Drake raps, quote, this bitch lie about getting shot, but she's still a stallion. So, oh, I wonder who that's about, Mm. what that's about. (laughs) It's so not vague, is it? Yeah. 
So, of course, this is referencing Tori Lenez, who is going to trial later this month for allegedly shooting Megan in July 2020. Yeah, and this was um, at the time of recording. Um, Megan took to Twitter to defend herself. We're pulling out just a few of her quotes here, but she said, I know I'm very popular, but y'all got to stop attaching weak-ass conspiracy theories in bars to my name. Stop using my shooting for clout. Since when the fuck is it cool to joke about women getting shot? So true. So bloody true. And this is another example of a black woman's pain and trauma not only not be taken seriously, but then also to be mocked and profited off afterwards. Like it's one thing to say something but then to like add it to a song make people like this stuff changes public perception about women and we know the types of people who listen to like you know drake and 21 savage like it's a lot of young men of course lots of different types of people listen to their music but like majority of their fan base would be young men right and the way that we talk about women in songs is important it's culture right yeah, completely. And we often find black women at the center of culture, whether they are instigators of it, whether they are the topic of it. And I think it's quite telling in this case that like, yeah, Megan is the topic, but it's like, hey, where's her voice here? Like, who's the one actually telling this narrative? Um, And it's really, really unfortunate that like, she's been gaslit about being shot especially Mm. i didn't realize the trial um was this month as well like surely that's like not too good like you know in australia we have such strict law yeah such such strict laws around um public conversation before Mm. a trial or whatever like um it's just ridiculous like it's if this happened to a white woman like a white woman gets shot in the foot let's say like taylor swift and then like people are just I don't know, joking about it or not believing her. It just doesn't feel doesn't feel real. Like it was treated as a meme. Yes. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of that lyric that Kanye wrote, like, about um Taylor Swift, like I made that bitch famous in his song Famous. Uh I remember that was like quite controversial and that wasn't even about her like being assaulted. It was like uh oh yeah, it was saying like I still have sex with with Taylor Swift or something something along those lines anyway it's interesting that this song has this lyric when other lyrics on Drake's album appear to be quite feminist which has been his uh well he has attempted for it to be his personal brand for a long time I think um Mm -hmm. whether he does it successfully or not I don't know like I don't think I could say personally but on the song Spin Back You, Drake makes reference to the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade with the lyric, damn, just turned on the news and seen that men who never got pussy in school are making laws about what women can do. I've seen a lot of people on TikTok be like, yes, Drake, like dancing to this lyric and like, you know, feminist icon. Um, but then there's also this flip side of like joking about Megan. And like we always say, there are great areas in life. And like, I don't know. I just think it's like... What like what are you? Are you feminist or are you not feminist? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I find it hard to comment on Drake as well because I just like don't really follow his music or him like his him as a person. Like honestly, when I think of pop culture and him, I think of him texting Millie Bobby Brown when she was underage. Like that is like kind of my cultural context here. So like I don't really have much to point out. I know so many people love his music, which is so fine and fair. Um, Hotline Bling. Yeah, we, we we all know it. We all love it. 
But oh, um, you sound so old. <laughs> shut up. You know what I was actually going to add was that um, I think I was in forgot where which museum I was in oh yes I was at Acme in Melbourne and they had a James Turrell piece which was very similar to the one that Drake had in his music video so um, of course my cultural context of Drake is an art museum so <laughs> love that oh my god so one fan wrote in response to the Roe v Wade lyric the fact that men can't see this is Drake doing some fake feminist bullshit to look good is depressing. But then others, like I said, are celebrating. So I don't know. I don't know. Megan the Stallion is the Stallion. She is the goat. Like, we love Megan. So, yeah. you know, stop joking about our girl. Exactly. I feel like she deserves so much more praise and recognition. Obviously, she's, like, hella famous. But, like, she is incredible. She also had the most random cameo in She-Hulk, which I watched um, recently. <laughs> So, so she deserves more than that. Like she deserves more than that. <laughs> she deserves. She deserves more than a she holds cameo. In an era of aesthetics and endless core subcultures, are trends dead? That's what we're going to be talking about here for our final segment of Culture Club because for the past couple of months there have been many talks on the internet about not really being able to pinpoint 2022's aesthetic and also pointing to the rise of micro trends as a major reason why like it feels like we're in a trendless era almost 100 percent uh lots of opposing vibes have risen in popularity at the same time so you've got like weird girl and clean girl ballet core and gorp core which i still can't really wrap my head around gorp core i like it's like what you wear when you're hiking or something but then it's also really trendy and i see people wearing it, i'm like should i get a gorp core skirt but then i don't oh, really know baby. how to find one and i'm so you're not a gorp you're not a gorp core girly i have to break it to you i was trying to explain it to tom and he's like gorp core's not a thing it's not real <laughs> um but that's that's Ballet core forever. That's why I have to say. We do love it. Yeah. So would you agree that we are in a trendless time and that like there are multiple trends happening at the same time? I think that it's hard to pinpoint this exact year as like one one main aesthetic, but I don't think trends usually function as like a year, you know, a year mm-hmm. cycle, right? They're usually like five years or whatever. So I think that can be normal. <sighs> And I think it's hard because we exist in Instagram and TikTok bubbles where, yeah, people do follow these calls. But in real life, step out, touch some grass, people are, you know, wearing, I don't know, like normal non-Pinterest clothes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like skinny jeans didn't really disappear. True. Like um, zip hoodies. I don't know, bro. I'm just naming normal things now, but like, so it's almost like, okay, like how, how true is this? But I do think for people like us, um, people who do enjoy time online and who up, who are up to date with like fashion trends and stuff. Yeah. There's like a lot of these, a lot of different trends going on. So as well as like it being hard to pinpoint these trends it also feels like everything's a trend and like I feel like you and I working in media do contribute to this as well it's part of our job we get asked to write about these things but I also pitch it as well because it's like Mm -hmm. you see like 
X amount of TikTok videos and we're like, this is a trend. Well, you just wrote one about the, um, it's not fashion, but about like low dopamine mornings. We were both like quoted in this one about like a TikTok trend. And, you know, it's like, I feel like TikTok plays so much into these like crazy trends and like every week we're just like churning out the content that then appeases the trend. And like, it's like a, it's like a really vicious um, cycle. But trend analyst Mandy Lee also went on TikTok recently to talk about how it's detrimental to label everything as a trend. Oh, yeah. So she points to like this article called um, Hayley Bieber's latest Maddie is Halloween themed. um, And it's just Hayley wearing like black nail polish. And she explains why this shouldn't be a trend or new. So we'll just play like a small snippet here. Maybe I'm just in my hater era, but this is not newsworthy. A celebrity painting their nails black for fall is not a trend, it's not a headline, it's not news. When your only point of reference is what it girls are doing, what it girls are wearing, it creates this lack of cultural context where a glossy brown lip combo is now brownie glazed lip, as if black and Latino women haven't been doing this forever. Same with the clean girl aesthetic, it's co-opting, it's co-opting. So yeah, like in a perfect world, I agree with Mandy, but just to echo what you're saying as well, it's just like, you know, some of our friends at other publications write four to eight stories a day. Like, babe, sorry, if Haley is wearing a nail polish color, that is a story because mm. it's just un, um, unsustainable to expect, I guess, like like new features and like new ideas for every single piece and like though that would be incredible um that's just not the reality for media writers I would Mm -hmm. say um but I guess like you know Manny makes so many good points and the main one there is like why do we feel the need to label everything in the first place like what is our obsession with um labels and cultures and and all that jazz and cause as well. I'm so I'm getting so tired of like core, like adding core to the end of a word. And I, I know I'm guilty of it sometimes, but I found it so exhausting. Like just because you wear black pants doesn't mean it's black pant core. Core <laughs> came out of norm core, which was like in the 2010s. Um, but since that, since TikTok, I feel like the whole core fashion trend it's become almost meaningless now, in my opinion. Yeah, like everyone's trying to get a slice of the cake that is internet clout. We've mm. talked about this before, but, you know, oh, like let's coin something. Like let's make that go viral. Um, so I understand the the appeal there. But, yeah, you're right. Like <laughs> there were there were a lot of jokes about it was like warm girl call or like warm girl or whatever. <laughs> and apparently that was on Twitter and the person who posted it did it as a joke. Oh. But it looks so believable. It was like a little girl in art gallery and, you know, oh, yeah, warm girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I saw this other TikTok um, by user Attempted Sock um, who – pointed out that apparently all these cultures that we're talking about now were like visco girl and old girl you know between the years 2019 and 2020 which made me like cringe so also in that tiktok attempted sock says i've noticed that people take it to such a drastic extent that it's as if they almost fetishize themselves as this character to the point where they start subconsciously molding themselves as this persona even if it clashes with what they really want hundred percent i've seen that a lot on tiktok 
Yeah, I find it interesting because on one hand, it's like, oh, we could we could say that the rise in these um, different types of trends can lead for more space for like personal style. Like now we can pick and choose what we want. Like, yeah. Jazz, you don't have to be goldcore. <laughs> the next time I see you, I just in like, yeah, hiking boots. And I, I love that, to be honest. I mean, but like that's the thing. You can do that yeah. because now I guess um, – what's what's stylish and what's tasteful is more democratized maybe because of tiktok of course it's still relatively like white and cis and thin but it has changed a bit there was this article in stylist called good and bad taste no longer exists here's why and that was written by becky hill Uh, we actually got becky to read out some of her piece now so uh, we'll play the snippet here Entire industries have been built on the fickle notion of taste, but none more so than fashion. Knowing what to wear and how to wear it has arguably formed the backbone of the business. But in 2022, where traditional media has less power than ever before thanks to the internet, who is to say what is considered good or bad? Defining taste has always been subjective, not to mention problematic. Why should only a select group of people dictate to the masses what is on vogue and what is not? As Fiona Harkin, Foresight Editor at the Strategic Foresight Consultancy, the Future Laboratory, puts it, fashion was driven by a top-down system, with access to trends coming from tastemakers and an elite group attending catwalks, shows that were mostly sealed off from public view. However, when everyone has access to everything, it's difficult to stand out. Brands and fashion houses know this and have had to adapt accordingly. People are less restricted by the traditional function of taste as an arbiter and their purchasing decisions are guided by other factors, whether that be replicating a TikTok trend or dressing for self-expression, says Biz Sherbert, culture editor at creative agency The Digital Vary. Cottagecore, gawkcore, barbiecore. TikTok knows no bounds of cores, compartmentalising and celebrating trends as well as the tribes that come with them. Thank you, Becky, for taking the time to read out those words. And I feel like you said what we're trying to say in much more succinct words. (laughs) I feel like internet lingo is expanding just so quickly. And uh, I don't know if it's because we're like in in the middle of the hurricane right now. It feels like that. I'm like, wow, we have so many like trendy terms and ways to describe ourselves. And it moves at such lightning paces that like slay will be technically outdated in like a month or two or whatever um and I think it might have real world consequences as well as like the way that we interact with others like we see internet lingo feed into our everyday conversations and perhaps like even change how we see ourselves and others is that a bit of a stretch or is that plausible what do you mean by that well, like, I mean, we saw like main character energy take off, right, a couple of years ago, or like big dick energy. I actually think they had flow on effects about, you know, maybe it's a bit um, like surface level and shallow, but I like lent into main character energy and that, that boosted my <laughs> ego that didn't need to be boosted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Crystal Andrews actually goes into this conversation on the publication Z Feed in an article titled NPCs and Main Characters. We're straight up dehumanizing ourselves online now. And Crystal also got to record some of her own words. So here they are. There are a host of phrases eagerly co-opted from theoretical media analysis that are now completely normal ways for young people to think and talk about their lives. 
Do you have main character energy or are you a side character? Do you dress for the male gaze, a concept specifically created to analyse depictions of women by men in literature and visual arts? Or the female gaze, despite the fact that this term has nothing to do with dressing yourself? By examining real people, including ourselves, through a lens intended for media analysis, we become two-dimensional. Characters don't have agency. Their actions, interests and beliefs are given to them by whomever created them. Talking about ourselves as if we have also been given a set of characteristics or a plotline to play out, implying that we've been authored by someone other than ourselves, is taking part in our own dehumanization. Online, if we're just a character, then it's okay to be treated like we're not real. Social media and showing up online is inherently attention-seeking. It would be all too convenient to wave this away as a symptom of a self-obsessed population posting on platforms that reward navel-gazing behavior. The more difficult truth is anything that normalizes viewing other people as non-human, even just a little bit, has serious ramifications. I think it's so important to to hear Crystal speak just then because like we were both media media students and stuff like that and it's so easy to just get caught up in in all that so this article like really hit the nail on the head I hadn't read anything else like that before so um, I will be thinking about my own language use too. So where do we go from here in terms of trend do you think this is gonna like just get faster and faster and faster until everyone is like fuck this like what's the point which I feel like we're already kind of getting to like in this conversation we're already like oh god like corn like slay and everything like it's so exhausting but and I also feel like this is such like an internet problem to have right like we work in media we're active on social media we're interested in media and culture so like for us it feels like so much more like a cultural conversation whereas for like your everyday person like living in a regional town they're like what the (laughs) hell are you talking about but I don't know internet culture is our culture now you can't really differentiate the two anymore so where do you think we go from here you reminded me of the meme which is like explaining to a 13th century peasant what gorb gore is or something <laughs> um it would be cool to see it almost combust on itself even though i enjoy like i do enjoy being a part of the like these conversations and partaking in these trends but it would like wow imagine if it did self-combust and you turn to personal style or like slower c- consumption and yeah and whatever lol um I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's just going to continue as is because we have the ultra fast fashion brands that are so going to be so glad to, you know, to create clothes to Mm. continue this as well. So it's almost like a terrible cat. Oh my God, what's an analogy here? Like, cat feeding. Yeah, or like the beasts, the beasts are feeding each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feed each other? I don't know. (laughs) but sometimes I feel like I totally miss out on these trends because they are so fast that and like we do try to like consume consciously that like pre in years gone by it was like oh I really like that trend for winter but I'm gonna wait like a month or two until I either find it secondhand or find it like from not a fast fashion store or if I do want a fast fashion I've got to think about how it fits my wardrobe and like will I wear it in the future and stuff but with these new trends it's like they come and go so quickly Uh that by the time I'm like okay yes I do want to buy into this one particular trend it's gone and so I'm like I feel so unfashionable but I just can't be not be bothered like I am interested in fashion trends but I don't know maybe that's like more 
like where personal style comes in is like you shouldn't yeah. even be like participating in these trends anyway. Like I try to pick and choose. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's my own thoughts on that. I think that's the healthiest way forward. Like fashion is fun. Sometimes mm. being part of these trends is fun. Don't don't deprive yourself of that. But I do think like some of the most stylish people I know are like cognizant of what's happening in the fashion world, but like they're still so true to their own style. Mm. And I find that so admirable and I want to be like that. So yes. yeah. You definitely are. You have now complimenting each other for the, the rest of the episode. You have such strong personal style. I'm like, Aww. oh, your clothes second hand, but they look so cool together. Oh my god, I want your wardrobe. Anyway. Whoa, you did take a dress. I really want another dress and a clothes swap we had at work. So jazz. <laughs> True. And then I was actually felt really good about myself in that I have something that you want. Because Dude, it's such a good dress. Oh. <laughs> I'll pass it down. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It is time for recommendations now. Um, you've had a cozy weekend. I want to hear about it in the sense of what did you read, watch or listen to? I've actually been consuming a lot more uh, media this week, which has been really lovely. As I said, watch my mind to me. But I also watched Enola Holmes 2, which came out on Netflix this weekend. Um, I didn't realize how much of a Nola Holmes fan I was until I saw that it was coming out and I genuinely like looked up what day and got excited for it. And on Friday I was like, yes, it's coming out tomorrow. (laughs) But I love it. Millie Bobby Brown plays Enola Holmes, Sherlock Holmes' younger sister. And this is the sequel to the 2020 film. So this story sees Enola trying to start her own detective agency and then a young girl of like eight-ish comes to her to ask for help finding her own sister, Sarah Chapman. And it's loosely based on real events and real people, which is super interesting. Um, And I don't want to give too much away because it's a murder mystery and I'll probably slip up and say something. But, (laughs) you know, Millie Bobby Brown's in it. She seems like a lot more confident in this role um Sherlock aka Henry Cavill who's such a dreamboat he has more of a role in this movie Lord Tewksbury um Enola's love interest comes back you've got Helena Bonham Carter as um Enola Holmes mum oh yeah and Lupin from Harry Potter plays a police officer uh in this series as well so I actually think controversial opinion maybe it's just because I only watched last night but I think it might be better than the first, which oh, doesn't often happen good. to sequels, but it's really strong. There are some moments that are a bit like on the nose in terms of like, I'm a woman, hear me raw stuff. Yeah. But it's for younger, it's for younger audiences yeah. really. Like, you know, um, I definitely would show like younger siblings or children um, this movie. It's really nice. And Millie Bobby Brown is just a queen. So, so watch that if you are looking for like a cozy, easy to watch movie. It's on Netflix. Yeah, I will be watching that one. Um, it makes me so happy seeing content made for like tween or early mm-hmm. teen girls because it's just like, oh, like how, like how good for them slash past us, I guess. Yeah, totally. And you were away in New Zealand last week, so I'm sure you haven't been watching a lot, but um, what do you recommend for us this week? Um, yeah, so I finished a book very quickly, definitely less than a week because it was just so, so good. And it is Dear Dolly by Dolly Alderton. 
So we love Dolly. She is an incredible journalist, podcaster, just like wise and wild woman. Um, I think her podcast with Pandora Sykes, a high low, was like the best thing to ever <laughs> grace my ears. So much so um, because I finished this book like yesterday, I like put on the high low 2019 Aww, episode. <laughs> I was like this yeah give it to me um and they're just such delightful and intelligent women anyway I think we talk about them all the time so Dear Dolly is essentially a collection of advice columns that she has written for the Sunday Time style uh, since 2020 and it covers lots of different themes from relationships uh sex family friendships self blah 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 um so it's almost like a self-helpy book in a way uh, because she obviously goes through dilemmas faced by a lot of different people and just my goodness the way that she carries carries herself in each answer with so much like empathy but also like b- being able to be blunt when she needs to be with honesty and with just like such compassion and care is super like inspiring and Aww. and she's just incredible like oh I just love her and like I read it in her voice as well which I just yeah. think is lovely that's so nice. I saw um, on Instagram someone had like posted a picture of like the intro page that was like when I was in my 20s, like I wrote about my life so much and then you get to yeah. a point, she's like, and then I turned 30 and I shut up shop in terms of um, like using my life for like content or, you know, articles or whatever. So I just thought that was super interesting. And I would like to read it as well. So if it's not on loan already, can I please borrow it? (laughs) There is a long list of people who want to borrow this book. So you will have to get in line. You are like front of line. (laughs) You are like the front of the queue. Don't you worry. I do see you give it 8.8 out of 10 on your Instagram stories. I know. Such a such a weirdo. Like I wanna give it a nine, but then I'm like, oh, it's not like a it's not like a book though. Like it's great, but I don't know. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention is because each um each reply is only like a few pages long. So like it's like three or four pages. It's super nice. Oh, okay. Pick up, put down. That's good. Yeah. Nice. Well, that is all we have time for today. Thank you for being again and thanks for chatting with me, Jazz. Thanks for chatting with me. Alrighty. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.